52 episodes, 52 ordinary people, 52 real stories about things that affect overall health. Because there is a lot more that goes into being healthy than food and fitness. Inspiration, support, a new perspective, and knowledge. You'll find that and more here on the HealthAbility Project. Hi, welcome to the HealthAbility Project. I'm Robin McKenna. There is a large body of evidence pointing to the influence creativity has on one's emotional, psychological, and physical well-being. It has been proven to reduce stress, anxiety, and depression. From painting to gardening to writing, anything and everything one can make or create yields a level of satisfaction which boosts our mood, cognitive function, and even our general outlook. The more consistently one creates, the more long-term the effects. Here with us today is Darcy Hicks, who is going to share her personal journey with art, as well as the journey she has taken with adults and children. Darcy is an artist living in Westport, Connecticut. She holds a master's in education and has been teaching for 30 years, devoting the last 20 years to visual literacy in children and adults. She is the education director at the Norwalk Art Space, a gallery and arts community that offers free art classes for kids. She is currently working on her MFA in writing. She is also an activist and has a Facebook page called Defend Democracy of Connecticut. Welcome to the HealthAbility Project, Darcy. We're really glad to have you here. Thank you for having me, Robin. So Darcy, how did you get started in your profession of art? Were you drawn to it as a profession? Did this happen to you in, in your youth, in your teenage years? And, and what led you to a career in art? It was actually, I want to say it was a path that I found myself on so early that I can't even remember when I wasn't considering myself an artist. I think all children are born viewing themselves as artists the second they get a crayon in their hands. And most people are at some point in their childhood or early adulthood kind of pulled off that path just by the way that school is structured, the way that society values certain things over others. I was lucky enough to have um, a mother who is an artist who really, you know, took up the house and the kitchen and everything with her art supplies and her easels. And so it was such a natural part of my existence and just in my sight line that it made sense for me to just always be drawing. And I loved it. I liked, I liked the sort of the connection to the world through my hand, really through my eyes and then through my hand to be able to kind of record what was happening. There's a certain sense of you know, even though I know that artists are often seen as um, a little bit more, you know, not as in control, I think it's it's actually a lot of the times it's the other way around that when you are able to capture your life visually um, in some way and make things from it, it's actually a very controlling feeling. And so I think that as a child who needed that a lot, it was a really comforting place for me to go whenever I, I just noticed whenever I needed any kind of security, I drew. Did you happen to pick up on how art or creating influenced your mother's health and well-being? I mean, you obviously were young, 
Yes. Um, actually, very much so because my parents, she was an artist already when I was born. And my parents got divorced when I was 10. And, you know, it was a huge upheaval, you know, any divorce, especially back then. And I had a younger brother who was really, um, let's just say rambunctious. So he was a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) And I think my mother found a sense of peace and autonomy in the same way, you know, being able to control her surroundings and really paint beautiful things was was a, a good I think, psychological place for her to be. And I I probably noticed that on some level. Mm -hmm. Did you lean towards it as your college education and as your profession because you felt the benefits of of creating? And was it something else? No, I leaned way towards it. Although my father, an attorney, was not keen on me going to art school. Of course. So, uh, (laughs) So I did go and get a liberal arts education at Smith College, but I majored in fine arts. So in the end, (laughs) I still spent most of my time there, you know, really creating. I don't think that there was anything that could have kept me away from it. And I also happened to, while I was there, study Italian. So somehow when I graduated, instead of falling into a world of art, which is what I wanted, you know, I still needed to make money. So I worked at an Italian fashion magazine because of my language. Um, I wasn't really that into fashion or anything, but it was just a great way for me to get a job. But at night I would get home and, you know, I would work like 10, sometimes 12 hours a day. It was at Condé Nast where they really work you as in the devil wears Prada type of schedule. (laughs) And I would get home and I would just, I mean, I was young, so I had less need for sleep and I would paint until, you know, two, three in the morning and get up and start all over it. So it was really, I guess, a calling. I don't know how else to describe it, but I, I couldn't be kept away from mm-hmm. from painting. Yeah. So in a way it was it was really your stress release, maybe your your yeah. therapy in a way from a job that you were just doing to to pay the bills and kind of go yeah. through the motions at the moment. So definitely well, fashion is is creative. Not the job I had. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was an editorial assistant and I was in charge of handling a lot of really, really difficult personalities and making sure everybody got to the same place at the same time, you know, and hearing a lot of complaints about it anyway. And so uh, I think being able to go home and really feel like myself again was important. It still is, you know, it always has been, but I think probably during those years, Having those hours tacked on to the end of the day, even though I probably should have just gone to bed, was kind of, you know, a necessity for my mental health to be able to, you know, I mean, I was treated in a pretty abusive way a lot of the time during Mm. the day. Mm. Um, And so, you know, to get home and dip a paintbrush in paint and put it on a canvas and watch something come of it was truly medicinal. Mm -hmm. So tell us, how did you get involved with working with children and adults? And if you could share some experience you've had with them as far as what you've witnessed with their embracing creativity and not. Sure. I um, When I wore out from Condé Nast, <laughs> uh, I needed to find something more meaningful to do to make money. And of course, Ideally, that would have been working as an artist, but I wasn't finding a way to really market myself. And so I became a teacher. I went back and got my master's in education. I became a teacher of children, a regular, you know, 
classroom teacher in elementary school, but I I sure focused on the arts and literature more than than I probably needed to as a to keep my job. In other words, um, you know, it's very top down in education, as we all know that the public education back then there was a little more leeway, and I just integrated the arts into everything we did. You know, if we were learning science, we drew the skeleton. If we were going to be writing memory pieces, we drew those first um, so that the kids could, you know, really be in touch. I knew from a deep place that children learned and could express themselves with their hands more easily than with words. I mean, we're, you know, when I was teaching third grade, I would sit there and think, wow, you know, words have been something they could write maybe for the last three years, maybe two. Whereas, you know, their entire eight years, they've been seeing and making things. And so that's a natural bridge for them, for everything else, for all the other learning. And I found that for myself, it was easier for me to teach them because if I was asking a child to write about a memory, you know, I don't know what's in their head. I have no idea. So I'm sitting there going, oh, do you have a dog? What color dog is it? You know, the most boring essays would come out. But if they were drawing them, I could say, oh, wow, it's interesting that you drew drew a nighttime scene, that the sky is dark. Tell me about that. What was happening in that scene? You know, that's called setting. And I could start to talk about all the elements of craft, of writing, which is also something I love to do, which is to write but I could do it in a way that was visual for both me and for the student. And so I really started to get interested in this relationship between art and writing and embarked on, you know, within, I would say the next five, 10 years, got closer and closer to really just specializing in visual literacy, which is what I just described. It's really a way into literacy through the arts, through making and, and looking at, at paintings and other artworks. And as you were working with these kids, how did they express themselves in their, you know, once they completed their artwork, were they, were they happy? Were they excited? Did they make the connection? Yes. Just for myself, you know, as a classroom teacher where I was really just doing it kind of from a gut place and knowing that this is what worked, I saw kids loving writing kids who hadn't normally loved to write, you know, and loving learning, loving science, all the subjects that kind of felt very compartmentalized were kind of blended together and brought together by something that they could do. And I was always careful to keep the whole, oh, this is good enough to hang on the refrigerator. This is a beautiful artwork. You know, art, art was really more of a, of a thinking tool or an outlining tool. And so the kids didn't get hung up on you know, making a perfect picture either, which could have sort of stagnated the whole process. But also in terms of actual data and research, you know, I left the public schools um, when I had my third child and I went to uh, work with the Yale Center for British Arts who were uh, developing visual literacy, which we, we hear that term all the time now, but it was actually, that's where it was developed. And they worked together with um, the Child Studies Center. And so we really were very clinical about gathering research and evidence and comparing students who who were doing visual literacy as opposed to children who were really just learning the traditional compartmentalized way of like, now I go to art for 45 minutes a week. Now I write for this many minutes a day with my teacher. Now I, you know, do math with a different teacher. And to have that 
ability to really be supported in finding what I already knew to be true, but to, to find the research and to be able to present data to people and say, look, these kids love love, love writing. They report, you know, the self-reporting was so much more mm-hmm. confident. Plus their actual output was at a much higher level. And not that I like to put too much importance in this, but, you know, their standardized test scores were way higher. I mean, I had principals calling me saying, I have never seen anything like this. This one class that you worked with is, has performed at a much higher level. And I would always say it's because they like it. <laughs> They're happy, you know, they're they're not miserable writing these 45 minute essays from prompts. They're actually coming from a place of authenticity. Because of that visual literacy that you introduced yeah. them to. Because of the the art making. Yeah. So tell us about what you're doing at Norwalk Art Space and some of the other kids. You know, I say kids, is there a wide range? Are you working mostly with teenagers? Is it younger kids? It's mostly teenagers at the Norwalk Art Space. It's a fabulous place if anybody wants to head over there. It is a uh, a gallery which also serves as a community center and an education center for students in the local Fairfield County community, mostly Norwalk, who are junior high school, sorry, that's an old term, middle school and high school. And we basically have four resident artists who are given the opportunity to use a um, a studio in the space for the entire year, 24 hours a day. And their community service in return is to teach the kids. And so basically my position there is to teach them how to teach and how to really um, teach in a way that isn't your traditional art class in a public school, but really, you know, get to the heart of what the kids need to express. I wear a lot of hats. So it's like, I work at the Norwalk Arts Center. I'm an activist. I'm a mother. You know, when I talk, you know, I don't know, a lot of people, I think, especially women have this thing where you meet people and they say, what do you do? And you just stand there like like a deer in the headlights. Like, I don't know which thing you want me to tell you about because it's a patchwork life, right? And uh, many of us are in that situation. But I think what I've recently started to realize is that all these different things, whether I'm writing or doing my own art or teaching, is about helping people find their authentic voice and use it, you know, trying to give them a forum or a place where they can really express that voice. And one of the things I do love about the Norwalk Art Space is that the kids there who come there are coming straight from six hours of public school where, you know, for the most part, their opinions are kind of sidelined. Their voices are not developed in a way that I feel they could be developed. Um, Having worked in public school and not, I kind of have the two, you know, my feet in both both friars. So I kind of know what it looks like um, in both places. And it excites me to see them come in and and to be told anything you have to say really, really matters here. And we're going to help you figure out a way to express it. And you get to choose what that message is. We're not going to give you a starter or a prompt or a, you know, you're going to need to actually figure this out. And I think that that is building a happy generation because happiness, I think, comes from a sense of, 
you know, that you're being your authentic self, that you're, that you're really your true self and that people are hearing you and seeing you and what you have to say. And it's not fake. And, and I think we do a lot of faking. I mean, you know, Hey, I live in Westport. (laughs) This is a, this is a, you know, typical privileged suburb and that can be a weird, weird place. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you know, there's a lot I love about my town, but it can be a weird place. You find yourself acting in ways and doing things that are just for the benefit of other people, what they expect of you. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, it's important for us to really take the time to experience what it's like to make something from our hearts Mm -hmm. and feel like who we are. And then to have people see it, you know, and see into our souls and accept it or not accept it, but to really have that interaction. I think it's very powerful. And when I see children have that opportunity, especially those who haven't had it, it's pretty much gives me even more happiness than my own art. Yeah. And I would think, you know, you you talk about how powerful it is. I would think also too, from the standpoint of a child or a young adult, being encouraged, you know, basically getting a subliminal message. We know you can do it. We want you to do it. We right. want you to bring out yourself. Right. It's right. So I have powerful. an example of of a child, um, I'll call her Ava, who I met when she was about 15, who I was doing at summer workshops in Bridgeport. And, you know, she had anger issues. She had every right to be angry. She had lost her father to gun violence. She you know, she was like a 15, 16, I don't remember if she was 15 or 16, but, you know, she was in in high school and she was in a frustrating situation, both at home and at school and in her community. It was, it was, you know, underserved and, and she was underserved and she was a very creative, very bubbly person, but she was also carrying around a lot of anger and impulse problems and, you know, all those labels. And I actually observed her that first summer that I worked with her be quite violent. And it was a concern, but she pretty quickly turned to art and got to work. And sort of the message I think that was delivered to her by myself and by my co-teacher was, you know, you have to work. (laughs) Art is not frivolous. You know, this is, you know, you're here and like, you know, your math teacher wouldn't say you, you don't have to, you know, this is just as important and we want to see you create something and your voice matters. And we want to see your voice. We want to see what you have to say, but not through throwing a chair. Right. And so she created beautiful paintings that were very powerful, that said a lot. And what was really amazing. And again, I think it comes down to this is, you know, there was this incredible, you know, shivers just seeing her create what she wanted to say on canvas. But then we had a show and people came and looked at it and she Mm -hmm. looked at them looking at it. And that moment was, she came up to me and said, I can't believe people are looking at my art and they're asking me about it. And it was like, she was a changed person, you know? And I, I honestly, right now I have like tingles of happiness because that is the honor that I have in working with kids. That is, it's like just monumentally joyous to see that shift. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the long story short is that she's now in college. She's this incredible woman who's got the world by its horns and who just is just so, she's so self-possessed. She knows herself. She's authentic. She talks about herself with more 
understanding of who she is than most adults that I know. And, and I can definitely say that. I mean, she has a psychological understanding of herself that I've not come across. And she attributes it to the arts of all, of all kinds. The work that you've done with adults, do you find adults not as prone to express joy or, um, you know, excitement over, over their accomplishments of what they've created versus kids? It's definitely different working with adults, but no less pleasurable. I really thought I wouldn't like it. I started doing like teacher trainings, a lot of, I do a lot of teacher coaching. We actually do that at Norwalk Artspace as well. You know, it's almost like you could write a sitcom about it. You get a group of teachers together and there's the one that is counting how many days till they can retire, you know, or um, you have the one that's knitting that's like, Who, what do you know? You know, I've been doing this all my life. Get out of my life, you know, get out of my lane you're top down or you came from administration or, you know, whatever. And so there's a little bit more of a challenge um, with adults, but a lot of that is just fear, especially when, you know, I take a bunch of art supplies out and ask them to draw something. It can be really difficult for adults who haven't done anything since they were 11 in that way. But the payoff is enormous because some of them are so far away from that part of themselves. And when they, when I ask them to, you know, just draw a memory or think of a time in their childhood when they were afraid or when they were excited and they get into that story and then they write about it afterwards, it's not like I'm doing art therapy. I don't, I don't have any experience in that. I would never, I would never deign to try to do art therapy as it's defined, but it is therapeutic in the sense that they just automatically look for places to go where they can uncover something about themselves that's authentic. And they're eager to share when that happens. They're so excited. And the best thing is those surprises where someone comes in and gives me the stink eye and, you know, pulls out their iPhone the whole time or whatever. And then they're maybe tearing up or saying, can I please share? I really need everyone to hear this. And that's when I just think, you know, this is powerful. I mean, this is a powerful, powerful medicine creating with your hands. And I think in this day and age too, you know, I don't think it's, I think it's important to mention that, you know, over the years that I've taught, I've seen a complete disappearance of sensory intake from mm. not just children, but adults mm. who 20 years ago, I could have said to everyone in the room, describe what soil smells like, and they would have known. Today, no, they do not know. They don't understand why you would ever stick your hand in soil. And so this loss of senses, you know, really the only sense they're using is their eyes to look at screens and that's not really interacting with the world. So that ability to kind of make sense of why the light shines through the tree that way or to feel the grass on a humid day as opposed to a dry day, or to really remember the smell of something of, of, of the dew, or, or it doesn't even have to be nature. It can be, it can be anything in your house that, you know, the smell of lemons, there's this sort of loss of that. It's scary to me. And so I'm all the more insistent on um, making sure that kids and adults don't lose that connection with the world, that beautiful sort of just being able to say to them, you know, just being able to tell me 
what that lemon rind smells like, that is creative. That's creativity. That's connecting with the world. And that's just your own authentic description. Nobody else might describe it that way, right? Maybe for you, smelling a lemon is a memory for some reason of your grandmother because of her perfume. Or maybe it's a favorite cookie that you had at a birthday party, but everybody is going to have some visceral emotion that comes from that. And when you recognize that that's important, that people want to hear about it and that that's your voice, that's that's important. You can put that into a picture or into a piece of writing and people will be interested no matter how small it is. I think that that is, is encouragement. You know, that helps people to understand that interacting with the world. I always explain to children that creativity is like a, a wash cycle. You have to take in the world through one of your senses, if not more than one, through touch, through smell, through taste, through sight, whatever it is. And then you kind of put it through your system like a washing machine. You know, you're just trying to figure out what it means to you. You're trying to get the part that you like and and what it means to you. And then you have to you have to put it out there. You don't just leave it in there. You have to put it out there, whether it's a piece of writing or whether you're going to go out and plant something or whether you're going to draw or, or work with clay to show what that meant to you. Um, whether it's abstract or realistic, it doesn't matter. And I think that that cycle, that's how I tell kids, this is creativity. It's not about um, talent, you know, that's a very good point. It, and it also creativity speaks to the uniqueness in all of us and the unique yeah. experiences we have and maybe carrying. And, you know, I think also too, creativity is, is great because it's accessible to everyone and it doesn't need to be expensive, the materials or just even the channels that you do it in. You know, like you said, you could just be out in the backyard and working with natural materials or just sit down at the table and open up a notebook and sketch with a pencil or a pen. Right. It's, it's what you make of it. And I think that, you know, I'd, I had uh, done some reading in advance of our conversation today and they talk about creativity uh, bolstering a sense of purpose Yes, uh, and yes. how significant that is for children, you know, and in particular children who might be in underserved communities and, and how, I don't want to say easy, easy might not be a fair word, but available it is to do this. They just need someone like you who is there to to lead them and, and show them that um, they want to be heard and, or, you know, that people want to hear from them and to encourage them to bring out their authenticity. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head that the sense of purpose is really what it's all about. And I think all kids need it. You're right that kids who are in underserved populations are the first place where our minds go, you know, because we think that this is where the trouble is and everything. But more and more in privileged communities as well, we're seeing kids mm. battle such demons, depression and addiction mm. and so forth. And, you know, I think that there's been a loss of direction. And I think that, that that's why that kind of hit me, what you just said, that that sense of purpose it's just so important to have. And I think during COVID, especially, I mean, people's purposes were taken away. They weren't going to school. They weren't going to work. They, you know, a lot of people were not even with their families. There was a lot of isolation and loneliness. They weren't socializing. And mm -hmm. I'm just so grateful that I have three sons who, all of whom are creative in some way. They're all 
artists who output, whether it's writing, dancing, or music, they have one of each. And through COVID, they were able to at least find ways to have this outlet. And I think um, it saved them. It saved me in my studio during COVID. Well, thanks very much. This has been an extraordinary and eye-opening conversation. And thank you so much for what you do uh, with children and adults. And uh, we really appreciate your time tonight. Thank you for letting me talk about it. It's my favorite subject. (laughs) Robin. Well, thank you, listeners. If you like today's episode, please like us, share us, and subscribe. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email us at thehealthabilityproject at gmail.com. Thanks very much, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us today at The Healthability Project. We'd love to hear from you, so please email us your questions, comments, or suggestions, including future guests to the healthability project at gmail.com. And please like us, subscribe, and share us with your friends. 